live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. We here at the ODPH would like to wish Mother Nature and Jack Frost well in their future endeavors. Uh, we are releasing them from their contracts. Facts. If you have not been following 607 Podcast social media, this has been a torrential week, if I can say that. It's been a nightmare. It has been a nightmare because we were hit with a random snowstorm in mid-April. They, they, the weather's National Weather Service here in our area first alerted the public to its attention on Saturday of last week, and I'm like, oh, okay, no, nothing too crazy. Yeah, nothing super crazy. You know, it's northeast. It, yeah, northeast. We, upstate we're, New York. We're, you know, we're used to it. You know, so Saturday night they're like, oh, one to three inches. I'm like, oh, all right, that's not that's nothing too crazy. Right. But then by mon by Monday morning. It was like, depending on where you looked at, whether it was the Weather Service, the Weather Channel, or any of the local news stations, it was anywhere from like five inches to a foot. And we woke up on Tuesday to 10 inches in some areas, but the official at the airport uh, measurement was 14 inches of snow. Um, you know That was all wet and heavy. And at one point, there were uh, 100,000 people without power. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're currently, last I looked a couple hours ago, down to 40,000 people without power. And the electric and gas company here that services our area and much of the state called it the greatest weather-related power outage in New York State history. It was absolutely wild. So, unfortunately, we had to do a lot of shifting around because we lost power here at our studios. 8122 Productions lost power at their studios as well. So, we finally got back up and running this week. Now, we are finally ready to talk some entertainment with you because yeah. there's a lot to discuss. This was a kind of a crazy week, but we got to juggle some things around, but we still got a stack show for you. And we definitely want to interact with you, the ODPH society. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. They're all right there. We follow, we talk, we interact. It's what we do. Check out Parley points, new blogs, drop in the T public store. Always a good time to go get some ODPH swag. And everything and anything that is the ODPH Podcast can be found at odphpodcast.com. It's that easy. And always remember to use on social media the hashtag ODPHpod. But kicking off the entertainment edition of the show, we finally got a gift. Yeah, we did. A bright spot in a very bad week. Yeah. And this has been long overdue. Pad, how many days has this been overdue? Uh, more than usual, just because the we of course got the trailer for Thor Four, aka Thor: Love and Thunder, uh, and everyone was wondering when the hell this is going to be, just because there's usually a time frame of when Marvel movies like to put out their first trailer, and we're getting dangerously close to the release date of this movie, which had some people concerned. Uh, this trailer, of course, dropped on Monday as we record. The movie's coming out July eighth, uh, you know, so that's only eighty two days away. 
Uh, and in amongst that waiting, it also broke a Marvel record. I'm not entirely sure Marvel intended to break. It's yeah. not necessarily a good one. Uh, and that is the shortest amount of time between first trailer and the release of the movie. The record holder for that, uh, and I can't take credit for any of this. I saw this on a post on social media. I did not have the free time to look this all up and keep track of when movies come out from first trailer. Uh, but the previous record holder of this uh, esteemed honor was The Incredible Hulk, which released on uh, June 13th of 2008. The first trailer for that dropped on March 12th of 2008. So that was a 94-day window. Uh, So Thor Love and Thunder has now broken that record. Yeah, it is kind of wild to think about because Marvel Madness is now sweeping a hold of pop culture. And and this is with Marvel not afraid, with other stuff going on, they're not afraid, unlike Star Wars, Mm. uh, to promote upcoming stuff and put out upcoming stuff in the middle of something already airing. Like Spider-Man, any of the Disney Plus series, they're not afraid to do it. Right, and that's something that we've been waiting with very, very high anticipation for because obviously the success of Thor Ragnarok had got the fan base excited to see where we're going to see another Thor movie because we really haven't charted into that water of a fourth uh, franchise yeah. with a Marvel character. We have done it with Avengers, but that's a team. But as far as a solo solo, movie. Yeah, yeah. solo character, yeah. this is very, very new to us. And obviously with Taika Waititi's directorial debut with Thor winning over fans left and right and now him returning to the franchise with Chris Hemsworth reprising the role Everybody is very, very excited about this movie. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about, it's a middle of Mar- Marvel madness going on because ever since Spider-Man No Way Home dropped, finally, everybody's now talking Doctor Strange 2. Yep. Everybody's talking Moon Knight and yep. the great shows that are coming on Disney+. Plus. So the MCU is alive and well. And obviously, we are all saying, okay, well, if this is all slated. There's not going to be any changes to release dates. Where is this trailer? Mm-hmm. We were finally gifted it. There's a lot to break down. So if you haven't seen this trailer yet, we give you the fair warning here at the ODPH. We give a countdown. Then we go spoiler talk. So if you don't want to be spoiled, pause the podcast right here, jump back in after you watch it, and then you won't be having anything ruined for you because once we get going, we don't like to stop. That being said, Pad, in three, two, one. What did you think? Thought it was a really good trailer. I dug the uh, Sweet Child of Mine uh, playing throughout the trailer, but it was enough to get me interested and intrigued to see where it goes without giving too much away. It was your, it was, it was a teaser trailer. You know, that didn't give too much away, and I liked it. It didn't give a lot away, and I did like it. I loved hearing the uh, Guns N' Roses song yeah. come over as Sweet Child of Mine. I was like, oh, okay, we're going here. I love and hate that song just because... I love the song because it's a great song. I hate the song because I once had the opening guitar rift. Nothing but the opening guitar rift stuck in my head for three days. This trailer didn't do it to me, thankfully, but I kind of hate that opening guitar rift. No, it definitely didn't give a lot away. And like I say, it didn't. the riff did not haunt you as badly. No. It didn't haunt me as well. It just kind of set the tone for this. Because the one thing is with the storyline they're going with that was influenced heavily based off the Jerry, Jason Aaron comic, which if you haven't read his work with Thor... I'm telling you right now, get familiar with it quick, whether it's Marvel Unlimited, yeah. whether it's at your local comic shops, whatever you need Comics to go check. Comicsology, I'm pretty sure you can buy it on. Absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the IMDb page for writing credits, and it does specifically list, top of the page, or top of the list, Jason Aaron, based on comic book buy. Exactly, because he has definitely left his mark with the God of Thunder. There is no question he is in that top talk 
for best writer of all time for Thor. And especially if, and I'm not going to give away spoilers, but if if you're familiar with the run he did and you pay attention to certain things are are, are already coming out or leaking out, I guess you could say, you know some stuff about the story. Exactly, because we already know that this cast is very loaded for this movie. Yeah. We do know Christian Bale is now coming to the Marvel Universe as Gore the God Butcher, which if you know the Jason Aaron run, you know who he is. Uh Uh-huh. And we also know that Natalie Portman is returning as Jane Foster. Yeah. Which I literally thought hell froze over because I never saw her coming back to this franchise. Your reaction to that was my reaction to them getting uh, Harrison Ford back for Star Wars. Never thought it'd happen. Maybe a cameo appearance would take all of five minutes for him to film, but for him to be in a full, full, full-blown full movie, never saw it coming. Natalie Portman, same thing. Yeah, I was like, well, we're going with Lady Thor. Okay, this makes sense. And like I say, cannot stress this enough. Go check out Jason Aaron's run, and you'll understand everything about this and why the fan base, as soon as this was announced, got excited, and when we finally got the trailer, got even more amped up. Because as it kicks off with the Guns N' Roses music playing, we see like a little... It's like a montage. Montage, if you will, with Thor growing up and running. Uh, Fun fact, the child you see at the beginning of the trailer uh, is one of uh, Hemsworth's own kids. Yes. So it's kind of a very cool thing to see. And as you're seeing Thor's progression in life, and he's kind of reflecting about things, and he's saying these hands were once used for battle. Yeah. And we see him burying... Stormbreaker to a degree, yeah, which is a wild scenario to see. We also see him dressed in like Viking garb to the nines. Uh, there's a scene where he, right before he's burying uh, Stormbreaker, where everything is on fire and it looks like he's wearing a fur cape. Yes, it's fantastic. Like yeah. that shot, you know, something's going down there. Costume department, well done. Yes, and how does it progress? Is Thor is really trying to find his way. After Endgame. Well, and I think this is finally him because he's. It, we don't have an official age for him, but I think in Infinity War, he said he's somewhere around the neighborhood of like 1,500 years old. Something. Something like that. So you've got to figure. In the three movies, and I'm and I'm not count, really counting the Avengers movies because those, those are a whole different ball, right. ball of wax. But for the three movies we've seen him in, it's kind of Thor 1, you know, he, he was doing what his father told him to do. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you got to go figure shit out. Go to Earth, figure shit out. Thor 2, oh no, I fucked up. I got to go save my girlfriend and, and stop, you know, stop that whole mess. And then Thor 3, shit, I got to save my entire, you know, home and, and everyone who lives there. You know, he's never had time to just be him. Mm-hmm. It's been 1,500 years of doing what Odin says and going here, doing this, fight that battle, win that war. You know, save this person, rescue that realm, save that planet. You know, and and I think it's partially he wants to go out and just figure out, all right, I've been doing what everyone tells me to do for 1,500 years. You know, and it's dealing with that. And then also, I think, to a certain degree, dealing with the the ramifications that he might not be as special as he thought he was. Because think back to Thor 1 and Thor 2, where he thought he Mm. was the hottest shit since sliced bread. Oh, sure. And and especially Age of Ultron, where he he had everybody try to pick up the hammer and nobody except for almost Steve could pick it up. And he's like, ah, now he's dealing with Steve's picked it up. And as we see in the trailer, uh, Jane's picked it up. Yes. It's a weird scenario for him too, but this is almost like a coming of age for him as well, because once he decides, okay, I need to figure out where I'm going with my life because now it's a totally different landscape. It's a very interesting play. Yeah. And as we do see, probably the one piece of footage that I think everybody is talking about 
is there is a workout montage that is happening here. If that's not set to something from the 80s, I'm going to be very disappointed. I swear to you, if it's not set to something from Rocky, oh my God. I'm going to lose it. It has to be. It, yeah, you need Survivor playing somewhere or from Rocky IV, uh-huh. which is arguably the greatest movie workout montage you want to ever see. Just, you know, there's no easy way uh-huh. out. But as we see, he's definitely working out to get out of that fat, yeah, fat Thor's stage. God, that's a, like a little tongue twister. Yeah. And then we finally get a little cameo action yeah. that is going on. Because who do we see, Pat? Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. Yeah, so now we finally see that the Guardians are here in a cameo stage. Yeah. We uh, For this shot, we just see Quill and then, uh, oh, God, what's her name? I'm blanking on it. I'm looking at it. it oh, Mantis. Man, Mantis, thank you. Yes, and they're standing there kind of watching Thor as he's proclaiming, you know, like, this is a new me, and I'm standing here, and he's in street clothes, too. And he looks like he's, out of again, out of an 80s movie. Yeah, so he's definitely saying, like, I fear nothing. I'm, I'm going to live my life. It's it's my way. This is what I'm choosing to do. I don't want to be a warrior anymore, yeah. to paraphrase. Yeah. And then you get a quick flashback, too, of the rest of the Guardians as Thor is standing there, and it kind of looks like the scene where he's going to bury Stormbreaker. Mm-hmm. He's walking away. Yes, and he does say out there, my super superheroing days are over. Yeah. So, And you see the Guardians take off in their ship. So this is kind of an interesting play what they're doing because basically something has happened here yeah. dealing with the end of Endgame that you see the Guardians are with Thor, and obviously they're going to go look for Gamora. Right. They're now on a different planet. Yep. So at this stage, Thor just decides he's opting out. They're on a different planet, and I also want to mention it's a real blink and you moment, um, or blink and you miss it moment. But right after we see the Guardians leave, we do see Thor standing on the same world with Korg next to him. Ah, so Korg is there. It's so good. Well, of course, he, he has to have his squad with him, and Korg is dressed in Viking Norse uh, gear as well. Well, I'm sure that wherever they are at this stage, and like I said, we don't really know too much. It just looks like it's some type of war setting. Yeah, there's a war setting, but Thor has just opted out that he doesn't want to be a warrior anymore, that he wants to do something else in his life. He's peace, love, and positivity, Thor. Yeah, it's a weird scenario to see. And then as the movie starts playing on a little more with the trailer here, you do see a little shot. It looks like Asgard to a degree. Yeah, but it's not. But where are we, Pat? I'm going to guess we're at Olympus. I think so, too. Uh Uh-huh. And it does have a very similar feel. Uh Uh-huh. So that is a very cool thing that they're trying to set up because we do know that we do see the hand of Zeus. Uh Uh-huh. And who is playing Zeus? Russell Crowe. Yes. So that's kind of an interesting scenario we're seeing that the other... Greek gods are now meeting with the Asgardian gods, yeah. so to speak. So, uh, and we, according to the, at least the IMDb page, we'll be seeing at least one other uh, Greek god. Uh, that is Hela, uh, who is being played by Melissa McCarthy. Well, actually, she is going to be playing the actor. You know, oh, they're yeah, they're yeah. going to do the scene with like Matt Damon did. For oh, that. that's right. Yeah, okay. so they're setting that up for that as okay. well. Okay. Yeah, so they're going to kind of do a little play on that as well. So we are going to see a little mix of the fun humor that we saw with Ragnarok yet again. Right. And obviously if they can find a way to have Matt Damon be Loki. Well, Luke Hemsworth is listed on the IMDb page as actor Thor. Yes. So they're going to kind of do that whole skit again, which I think is fantastic. I love when they do this, but as we see with Zeus holding court, we don't exactly know what's going on there, but it does appear that Thor is on Olympus doing something. So, how this is all playing out, we're not really sure. Can we please get a Kratos reference just for shits, shits and giggles? Oh, it would be epic if they it'll, did. It'll be hard because it's owned by Sony, but please. Yes. And then we do see a quick shot of Thor and Korg. 
looking over. Now, this is straight from the comics, too, as well. Okay, okay. So this is definitely a, from Jason Aaron's run. So I don't want to give too much away, but they are standing and seeing it, a creature is taken out in a very snowy. Fucking thing is huge. Yeah. Like, snowy area. Like, it is, be, like, big as a mountain. Yes. So we are seeing that as well. So, and this is also where you're hearing Peter Quill is, is talking about, like, if you ever feel lost. And he kind of gives a quote that they're all talking about. But we do get a quick shot of new Asgard on Earth. Uh-huh. And we do see that... There are three cruise ships in the friggin' waters right near uh, the town. Yes. They're doing very well for themselves. They're doing very well under Valkyrie, played uh, once again by Tessa Thompson. Yep. And she is now running this, but she does look distressed about something. And it looks like they're almost running it as sort of like an on-Earth government type yes. of thing. Because right before you see her, there is a like a town hall room, as you would see in most small-town America, mm-hmm. you know, with a... Decently long table in one, two, three, four, five, if I'm counting right, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven people, maybe twelve, seated around the table with her at the head. And there looks like they're having this discussion, and she looks like she would rather be literally anywhere else. Yes. So it's kind of interesting to see how life with new Asgard is and how this is all going to play in as well. Well, and I think it's her adjusting to her new role as well because she's a Valkyrie, goes mm-hmm. out, supposed to go out and fight. She's not really meant for this. I'm going to sit behind a desk all day and manage. Yes. And then we we hear Peter Quill still talking about it through getting another shot of Olympus, and he's saying, just look in the eyes of the people you love. With uh, Drax, uh, Nebula, Mantis, and Groot, and Rocket all in the background. Yes. And then you see, of course, the superb comedic timing of Chris Hemsworth, who's just sitting there and going, just staring right in his eyes, and Peter Quill's like, not me. And he's like, oh, what? Oh, no, I was just listening. That's already getting memed, and I love it. Yeah, oh, I love it, too. I mean, it's just, it goes to play about the humor that Taika Waititi has written in for this character. And obviously, we saw with Fat Thor. Uh I got to say it this time. Yay. We did see that this is also going to carry through with this new persona that we're going to see. Now, obviously, it's going to be a little different than what we've seen in the comics, so they're going to be following the, the God Butcher story. Right. They're going to kind of make a little twist of it, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think a lot of people kind of get a little too wound up about that, but I don't think anything's wrong with that. And then we do see the big title of Thor Love and Thunder hit the trailer as well. And then the big shot that everybody's talking about, Mjolnir is put back together. Somehow. Somehow, some way. And we do see Natalie Portman as Lady Thor sitting in the middle of the battle with Thor watching as well. Right. So it is a very cool way to drop the mic, so to speak, or drop the hammer in this case. Didn't give a lot away. Like we said, we didn't see Christian Bale's character as well. We saw, you know, obviously the cameos with the Guardians. Mm -hmm. But, Pat, what was your kind of overall reaction about this after seeing this again? Well, I just got to say, end of the trailer, when we see Natalie Portman as Lady Thor, Natalie Portman, good on you. You got got some guns going on 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 those arms. Holy shit. Yeah, I think she definitely was getting into character mode for this. She went to the uh, Hugh Jackman School of uh, Lifting for a role. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, But, no, overall trailer is really good. Gives you enough to kind of, like, tease and kind of whet your appetite as to, like, get you back into it. Because, let's face it. Marvel for the last however many years, you know, since the Disney Plus stuff has been very multiverse heavy, very, you know, holy shit, reality is ripping apart at the seams. And it even will be up until this movie comes out. So it's a nice change of pace and a nice break from all of that. Because don't get me wrong, I like all the multiverse stuff. I like all of the theories and the fun predictions as to who might show up, what might show up, where we might show up. But like, I'm getting a little overtired of all the speculation. I need something else. I need just a little bit of a break, and you know. So this is giving me that nice little break that I need. Yeah. I'm just super excited about it because, like I say, it's the Jason Aaron story. So anytime you take something like that, and, you know, with Hawkeye, I was always big screaming about the Matt Fraction run and, you know, right. how well that came right. out. 
So to see they're borrowing heavily from the comics, I think, is a great thing. And to see how this is all going to play out, because, like we said, this is completely uncharted water for a fourth movie of a solo character. How will this take off? Will he come back for a fifth? We don't know. I mean, obviously, the movie is projected to do very well at the box office, and it should. I think as long as Marvel is willing to have him and Taika Waititi is willing to do the directing, I think uh, Hemsworth will stuck around. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stories to be told with this. So it's not that this is all going to be one and done and, and something in that variation. Obviously, with the plans for Phase 4, we don't know yet, but it's still going to happen. It's something that they're not slated to do another Avengers movie, to our knowledge, for quite a while. Far as I've heard, I think Feige said they're done doing Avengers movies for the time being. Yeah, which they're makes... Like, they'll, they'll, do, they'll do other stuff down the road, but in terms of doing another Avengers movie, they're done doing those. And I think that makes a lot of sense, too. You got the brand new properties of the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Whatever versions we're going to see of those entities right. show up, we're going to definitely see them sooner right. than later. Right. Probably would imagine we're going to hear something at San Diego Comic-Con this summer. Maybe. At the earliest, so keep your ears out for that. We'll be covering that as well. But I thought for this trailer, though, I thought it definitely hit the home run. Like, it didn't give a lot away, but it has that same fun vibe that people love with Thor Ragnarok. And like I said, we th- we saw Fat Thor. God, uh-huh. I'm struggling saying that today for some reason. I don't know it's why. a tongue twister. It is a little bit for me. But you did see those reminisce that uh, that you fell in love with that character about. And like I say, it's going to play up to Chris Hemsworth's comedic timing, which is still something to see because I think it's very underrated. And especially for Thor, who's been most notably the fish out of water, so to speak, when he's walking around the humans on Midgard. Right. It's very cool to see this is going to carry over. Now, how this is going to translate into... The God Butcher story is anybody's guess. Who knows? But the property is involved in the right hand. So you know what? I'm not worried about that. And I just got really excited. I was looking at the crew list for this movie. Uh, Michael Giacchino is doing the uh, composing the music for this movie. And he's quickly entering my top five, if not my top three favorite composers in Hollywood. Uh, John Williams, obviously, being number one. Uh, But if you're not familiar with uh, Michael Giacchino, some of the work he's done, uh, Rogue One. The J.J. Abrams Star Wars film, or Star Wars, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films. Uh, He also did The Batman. Uh, He did Spider-Man No Way Home, just to name a few. It's a great great composer, so the music's going to be amazing. Everything is looking so far as a win for this. So definitely want to keep more in tune about some, you know, footage leaking out. I mean, obviously Christian Bale's character is going to show up at some point. Yeah, they have. I would imagine they're going to show him. They didn't show him in the trailer, but toy leaks are out. And, well, if you really want to, I'm not going to say what he looks like, but if you really want to go out and see what he looks like, look up the toy leaks. Yeah, so definitely it's keep, out there. keep your eyes out for it. But, it, you know, I think they're going to follow the comics to a little bit of the letter here. As best I, they can. As best they can. But they're going to tie it into the Disney playbook as well. So, you know what? All signs point to this being a win thus far. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Pat's excited about it. But ODPH Society, are you excited about it? So let's talk about it, shall we? Thor, Love and Thunder trailer just dropped. What's your reaction? Let's chat, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello everyone, my name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen and I'm also the host of the annual Livestream for the Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. 
Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and it's time to recap the latest episode of Disney Plus slash Marvel Studios Moon Knight. Yeah. Let's get weird, folks. Uh huh. So, this show, six episodes for season one, has been a very interesting show, to say the least. Yes. Obviously, if you know the character of Moon Knight, he is a very, very complex character. He is a superhero that deals with dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. Oscar Isaac is playing the lead role. And it has been a very interesting introduction into the MCU yeah. for this character. Yeah. Because obviously the early comparisons are, oh, he's a he's like a Batman wannabe. Yeah. X, Y, and Z, you know, it, and really when you deep dive into the character and seeing how he's been written over the years, it's definitely not the case. He's very complex in that situation. So to see how this is getting presented on screen has been a very hot topic with fans. Sure. I got to say, like, I've been reading a lot of mixed reviews, but for me, and I think I can speak for you as well, Pat, the show has been very good. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. You know, my qualms and my issues with the first three episodes, notwithstanding, I've still enjoyed the show. You know, I'm still coming back to watch each episode. Yeah, I am too, and I think that this show is definitely starting to pick up some steam, albeit, though, as we are now on episode four with two more left, Uh unless they're going to announce that they're going to season two immediately, I think they really got to hit the gas pedal here. They've got to be doing a second season. And and doing something, because it just seems like they're dragging a little bit in the sense of we're really trying Uh to to take the scenic route to get to certain plot points Uh in the story. And I think this episode really kind of pushed that as well, too. They've, they've got to be doing a second season just because I'm getting vibes off of this that I got with Loki, mm-hmm. where we hit we hit kind of like the same, because I think Loki was six episodes as well, Yeah, you know, where we hit this point, and I don't think I said it on show, but I remember having the thought, like, this is taking a little too long to wrap up certain plot points, not to any detriment or any issue with the show, but just like they're taking a little too long to wrap some of this stuff up. It feels like they're not deliberately dragging it on, but they're stretching it out a little bit. So I, I think when, without knowing anything or having not having read anything, I think we're going to get a second season. I think we're, we are at some point. I don't know necessarily where it's going to fall on the slate. Because the only other thing I could see him showing up in is the Blade movie, but that's not for a while. It's not for a while, but I think that there is another Disney Plus show coming that he oh, might sure. be. Sure, but I'm th- I'm thinking in terms of like the Wanda. Oh, the movie, yeah, the movies, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like in terms of like, oh, his story's going to lead into this movie. Like, I can't see that happening, at least not yet, outside of, like I said, the Blade movie. Yeah, so it's, it's really... The, the, the show, sure. Movie, no. It's really up in the air what's going on here, but the cast has been doing a phenomenal job of what they got to work with. Like we said, Oscar Isaac playing the title role. Mae Calamay, or Calamay. Mm-hmm. Apologize for butchering the name. Uh, playing Layla has been doing a, a, a great job. Ethan Hawke as the avatar for the evil Egyptian god. Yeah. As Harrow has been doing a great job as well. Like They have really made sure that this show is definitely trying to tell a great story going on. And really, the only drawbacks I think thus far that we've had with it is they haven't shown how Khonshu, the Egyptian god, has connected with Mark Spector mm-hmm. at the beginning. Like They've been really 
dodging that question for some reason. Something tells me we might get that explanation in the next episode. I think we are because of how this episode left things, which we definitely have to deep dive into. So that being said, we are going to be talking about episode four of Moon Knight season one entitled The Tomb. You know the deal by now. So after the countdown, here we go. So in three, two, one, Pat. What did you think? Uh, I might have been a little premature with naming the show last week with India, uh, Moon Knight Goes Indiana Jones. Uh, looks like I was a week off on that. Yeah, uh, I agree. Because I, I, I'll be honest, peek behind the curtains, I had no idea what to title the segment, so I just shot the, you know, threw a dart against the wall and did that, not knowing what we would get this week. Uh, but no, I that, with that being in mind, like the kind of like Indiana Jones vibe I got off of it, love the episode because I love me some Indiana Jones. Uh, and with the ending, yo. The ending definitely was living up to the crazy hype that we were seeing of early screeners talking about. That Everybody said they saw the first four episodes and they said the fourth one is really going to mess you up. And it did to a degree. Yeah. Because as we have jumped in, Mark Spector and Layla are trying to find the tomb of Amit who is the avatar that is possessing Harrow and his doomsday right. plan. Well, I think at this point it's not Mark, it's Stephen. Yeah. Okay. Steve, Stephen's in, in control. Steve is in control because they, he is struggling to uh, with which personality or identity is taking over right. his body right this right. So you have Mark Spector, who is the clear-cut expert in this kind of field being a mercenary background. He's like the Green Beret, Navy SEAL, you know, special forces, pick your elite military group. Mm -hmm. Uh, And meanwhile, Stephen Grant is like the dude giving out tours at the museum. Yeah, which is very weird and very different than his comic persona. I want to point that out too, though. They have taken some liberties with Stephen Grant and Mr. Knight as well. So (laughs) if you read the comics, yeah, you you might be thrown off a little bit by how we're seeing but we are seeing that, obviously, this episode jumps right in where Stephen and Layla are going to look for the location of Amit's tomb. Yep. They have determined that it's in a maze. Yeah. Which is something I thought was very interesting how they played out. Because I mean, that plays out to the Egyptian stuff, though. Like, if you remember yes. from, from learning about them in school, that, like, none of their tombs were, were ever simply built. And it was just like, a, you walk in this store, you walk down the hallway, take a left, and there's the whole sarcophagus room right there. No. There's traps. There's false rooms. There's all this stuff to throw you off. So that's on brand. It definitely is on brand. And they definitely are tying in a lot of the Egyptian mythology as well, too. Cause as we say, the maze is in the shape of the eye of Horus. Yeah. Which I got to admit, did not know the name, knew what it looked like though. Yeah. It's, rec- a, very, it's a very recognizable scene. Yeah. It's a, a very recognizable symbol when you see it. And you were seeing that they're going back and forth about like, okay, how are we going about this as well? Because for Steven Grant's persona, he is very not comfortable in this whole situation. No, because he because he knows kind of an idea of what is going on or what might be in here. And yeah, his skin's crawling. His skin is very, very much crawling. And you see that every time he's looking into a mirror and he's seeing his reflection, Mark Spector is talking back to him. Mm-hmm. It is something I thought is a very cool effect that they're doing to explain yeah. the identity disorder. Yeah. I don't mind it as much now. Because like, before, it was really confusing where he just, like, yeah. you know, black out for lack of a better term and then come back and he's somebody else and has no idea what happened. The only other way they could have done it is I'm thinking back to the Lord of the Rings movies or even the first Hobbit movie mm-hmm. when Gollum was there and he had the multiple personalities going on. But with that, they just did like the camera flip, Yeah, which at times, you know, if you're not familiar with the story got confusing, this I think is a lot better. No, I think so very much so. And as we're seeing though, Stephen Grant is now developing feelings for Layla as well. Yeah, which are they his feelings or are they feelings? Because I know he brings up in the episode, I think it's towards the beginning, where like 
Mark wants to take over. Like, nah, I'm, I'm clearly more built for this. And he's like, and Steven's like, no, nah, I can do this muscle memory. Are these feelings his feelings or are they just like some sort of connect from some the connection he has with Mark? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a very interesting scene back and forth, too. And like I say, kudos to Oscar Isaac, yeah. too, and May Calmaway for, you know, pulling this off, too, as well. Because this is something you're seeing Layla's character is, like, really trying to deal with. Okay, she's now falling again for her ex-husband. Kind of. Persona. Kinda. I mean, he's he's... Mark has been pushing her away for a very specific reason. Mm. You know, he doesn't want Kanchu to take over her body and become the new avatar. As a result, they're feeling kind of distant. And and Steven is really not feeling that. And he's not really worried about that for whatever reason. Yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, so he's kind of like cozying up to her. And at one point in the show, they're kind of close together. And she even says to him, oh, you smell like him. Yeah. You know, so it looks like a duck. It sounds like a duck. It smells like a duck, but it's not a duck. Yeah, it's a very interesting way to explain their romance and how they're doing it. I mean, I think it's definitely coming across well on the screen. Oh, absolutely. And as you're seeing, though, as they're going through the tomb, this is where things get start to get real weird. Uh huh. Because they walk into basically a sacrifice room. Because Egyptians. Yeah. And they're seeing that, well, there's some fresh... Blood. Yeah, that's not dated blood. That's new. No, it's it's new, and they're coming. They're kind of coming to the idea of well, Harrow is now sacrificing his own people. Yep. To he's gone full Indiana Jones villain. Yeah, to bring Ahmed back, and it, <laughs> it, it, yeah, he went full indie. I mean, that's the indie. easiest way to describe it. He went yeah, full indie on this he went one. Full indie. So as they are now examining the room, well, more of uh, Ahmed's people are coming after him, which actually yeah. it turned out not to be. His people per se. Yeah. But now we start dealing with the undead. Yeah, because again, Egyptians, supernatural. I got to say one thing too. If we get a Kali Ma reference in the show, I'm going to fucking lose it. Oh, it's I'm coming. Gonna, in the best way possible. It's coming. But as we're seeing though, you're you're seeing the undead is now yeah. going after them. Yeah. And then this is when they get separated. So Mark is, or Steven is now trying to go and basically survive best he can, fighting with a couple of them. While also geeking out at everything. Yeah, which, I mean, well, that plays into his character. Which, yeah. That's the Disney humor of the show, which sure, I will understand if fans are not really all in on because, like, Moon Knight doesn't necessarily do the Disney humor. I mean, it, I don't even think of it really as just humor. I think it's just kind of like breaking up the tension. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like if we were dealing with the supernatural undead thing for like you know an hour or just under an hour for each of these episodes you know you got to have those moments of tension breaking Mm -hmm. and that's what this is yeah and they're definitely playing that up very well and then meanwhile while mark is or steven is fighting somebody actually goes over a little bit of a cliff too so playing playing really into that temple of doom vibe yeah you're seeing Layla is confronted by Harrow himself Mm -hmm. and he is kind of doing that whole creepy devil on your shoulder talk to her yeah a little bit i'm your friend they're not telling you the truth i'm gonna tell you the truth yes and the truth that he says pat uh is that uh what was it uh somebody killed i forget somebody killed layla's father mark mark killed layla's father mark specter was actually one of the people hired to kill her father allegedly allegedly so this is now causing a little bit of tension which you never really know what's going on with mark specter because i mean Let's face it. He plays the cards closer to the chest. He plays them very close to the chest, but he's not really a good guy. No. You know, as uh, like a Peter Parker, so to speak. Not a good guy. 
not a bad guy. He's the guy. He's just the guy. So then this is where they are just kind of going around this tomb. It's getting a little weird what's happening in here. And they do discover, though, a little bit of a fun history, I guess. Mm-hmm. That Amit's, well, kind of has a little historical connection with the last Avatar before Harold. Uh-huh. And who is that? Alexander the Great. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a fun history fact that they decided to drop on everybody. Yeah, no, I, I dug it. I like history. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, they play it up very well. Like I say, when, you, when you're trying to deal with the undead going on in the world of the MCU, and you're tying in the Egyptian gods as well, I mean, it's, it's cool to see that fact thrown in there as well. But it is very interesting to see how this all kind of shapes up. Because after they find his tomb, which is just weird to begin with, but here we are. Mm-hmm. They decide to go take something from that tomb. Yeah. And what is that, Pad? Uh, that is uh, Amit's, and I'm going to butcher this name, so apologies, uh, Ushapti, U-S-H-A-B-T-I, uh, which is inside Alexander's body. Basically, that is the little sarcophagus uh, barrel thing that, uh, like we saw Kanchu get trapped in in mm-hmm. the last episode, it's the one uh, Amit's in. Yeah. So, Moon Knight now has Amit. Yeah. This is not going to end well. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. Yeah. So as he's now escaping with this, well, Layla decides to pull up on him. Yeah. And then once he's confronted, well, he decides to unveil everything. Yeah. And this ties back into the comics, too, because when Mark Spector's partners uh, turned on him and left him for dead, this is when Khonshu took over. So they are playing some homage to that. Yeah. Because Spector reveals, yeah, I didn't kill your dad. But people I was with did, and then he killed me. And then Khonshu said, all right, time out. I'll bring you back. But you're going to be my avatar. And thus, here we are. It's kind of like that meme. You wonder how I got here. Well, here we are. So this is a very cool way of explaining the origin. I would have liked it better, though, had they did like a flashback sequence. Yeah. But I understand why they didn't at this stage. It's pretty clear cut. It's pretty clear cut, but as me as a comic reader, I would have dug seeing it a little more. But... I think they want to tease that for later down the road, whether we see it in season two or maybe later in the season. I don't know. But that's what I'm kind of vibing with. But as we see, though, after this confession, Harrow and his associates show up. Yeah. Guns blazing, you yeah. know, ready to start firing. And then this is where things get officially weird. Yeah. Because, Pad, what happens? Uh, well, Harrow shows up, shoots Mark in the chest. He then falls into a pool of water, some nonsense. I don't know what it is. Uh, and everything kind of fades to black. And I'm like, oh, cliffhanger ending. This is where we're going to leave. Not the case. We get that bright white light, but it's not that bright white light. Uh, and Mark, or is it Mark or is it Steven? I don't know. The person, Oscar Isaac, we'll just say that and make it simple. Oscar Isaac wakes up in a hospital, but in a, not just any hospital, a psychiatric hospital, uh, where he is a patient there with other folks. And it looks like your standard psychiatric hospital. You got folks there doing what they do. Uh, you got one gentleman who's a male nurse passing out cupcakes. I would have really loved one of those cupcakes. I'm just <laughs> saying. Uh, but then things go really further south. Yeah, they definitely do because as he's going through this uh, uh psychiatric uh, ward this trip because i don't know if he's we don't know if he's actually there or this is just all in his head well we don't and that's something that i do like about this episode because if you know moon knight you do know that he basically gets killed as much as gene gray does in the comics (laughs) so this is not anything new per se to comic readers 
But to see how they're trying to portray when he dies and what happens, because that's the way I took this episode. Right. I thought it was very, very interesting because when you see him in the mental ward, you do see that he is talking with Harrow, who's apparently his psychiatrist or a doctor of a certain degree. I think it's like a therapist type of thing, yeah. Yeah, and you're seeing that, you know, he's trying to break him down. You see that Moon Knight is knowing that something's wrong. Yeah. So he gets out of there. That actually is a Mark Spector because later when he's escaping, he does come across a, a, a sarcophagus. Yep. That is banging on the thing trying to get out. And somebody's screaming to get out, and he opens it up, and who does he find? Steven. He finds Stephen Grant. So they have a, a, a meeting, and they're kind of saying, like, what is going on here? And they're, and they're kind of freaking out as well. And then as they're trying to do a more of an escape, they do see there's another sarcophagus mm-hmm. with somebody else doing the same thing. Now, I do have my guess of who this is, and I think it's Jake Lockley. Mm-hmm. who is the other persona that is connected with Moon Knight in the comics, most notably. See, I was going to say it's Mephisto. Well, you know what? I'm sure a lot of people are running with that as well, but I'm thinking that that's Jake Lockley, who I think did make an appearance earlier in this series. Okay. Because for a very quick hiccup, something happens with a battle. Yeah. And Mark is at, or Steven's asking Mark, and Mark is saying, that wasn't me. Right. I am saying that that was Jake. Mm, but, but it's kind of a weird thing because in the comics, Jake is like a cab driver who keeps his ear to the street to hear about what's going on. So to see how this is going to compare in the MCU is going to be a very, very unique take, I think. But they do leave him in that sarcophagus, so they have not opened that up. But as they're still running through the building, they do come across a hippo figure. Yep. Now, we do know that the hippo is an Egyptian god by the name of Taret. Okay. So, and this is how the show ends. But Taret is kind of a, a very unique character from what I've been able to pick on. Okay. And Nerdist had actually a great article about this because I had to go kind of go into it. And according to what they put on there, it is the goddess of pregnancy and motherhood. Okay. So, like a protector of sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That being said, this is somebody that I think is going to be watching over Moon Knight during this afterlife experience. Because where I think this goes now is, in a weird sense, he's now going to have to try going back into his body and being reincarnated without Khonshu. Because Khonshu has resurrected him many times in the comics. This is a situation where... She might be the one doing this. Right, and Kanchu, as we know, is currently on ice, metaphorically speaking, right. locked up. Yes. So I'm not sure how this is all going to play out, but we're going to definitely find out in six days. It's an interesting mix here yeah. to see how this is done. So I am not exactly sure of the direction we're going with. Yeah, neither am I. But this definitely was a very weird moment to see. But I think this is how he is going through the afterlife or where he goes in between those resurrections. It's comics, so you know yeah. it, you you have to take that with a grain of salt here too. So I just want to really stress that because it's a weird way to end the episode. But while people were freaking out about it, it does make sense if you know about what Kanshu has done to him in the comics. So if he's been resurrected multiple times, and like I said. The more you kind of dig into it, it's like, that's kind of a common thing with him. You can see that this is a situation where she's guiding him back 
and might be like the the middle person of this mm-hmm. experience. Either way, it was an episode. Final thoughts on this pad, and you think where we're going? Uh, as for where we're going, I have zero goddamn clue, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I like keeping it in the dark and keeping things mysterious. Uh, as for the episode, though, I really dug it. This is the first one that like I really didn't have any issues with. I dug the Indiana Jones aspect of it. I love the history aspect of it. You know, the action sequences were cool, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about it as well. I mean, to see how they're going to try doing an afterlife resurrection on here, because like I said, I think that's the way they're going. And will this be how we explain a little bit more about the inner workings of Khonshu a little bit? And obviously, with a, with a new Egyptian god involved, like, who knows how this is going to play out. But I did think it was a very unique twist on this. Yeah. And you're definitely keeping the viewer watching at home guessing, which I did like. And obviously, with the action sequences, and I know they ripped off Indiana Jones a lot for this episode because Amit's tomb is just completely... Feels like Temple of Doom. Yeah. Maybe it's all connected because it's all Disney. Who knows? I don't know. But it was a very cool sequence to see. Like I said, when he's fighting the undead army of Amits and kind of having that sequence. Like I said, you did get some action. You didn't see anything of Moon Knight, but you did see some action in this involved. You got a little more background with Layla. And like I said, they lightly touched upon his origin. Like I would like to see a little more in-depth detail, but I understand why they're not doing it. But... With two episodes left, we really got to get somewhere and get going fast. I think they're going to speed through the afterlife in the next episode. And then I think all bets are off, and I think you finally see that standoff between Harrow and Moon Knight, and then all bets are off. Mm -hmm. But either way, you know we're going to be watching. So ODPH Society, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the latest episode of Moon Knight, episode four? We need to discuss this. So let's do it. But we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Anthony. And I'm Dr. Issues. And we're hosts of Capes on the Couch, the podcast where comics get counseling. Superheroes don't always get to go home happy. That's where we come in. We offer psychiatric and mental health analysis of comic book characters. So check us out at capesonthecouch.live and across all social media platforms at Capes on the Couch. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And finally... The real flagship show of the Walking Dead universe has finally returned. Worlds Beyond? Oh, no. I actually tried giving that another watch. I, cu- I couldn't. I'm sorry. I'd like, If you're into Worlds Beyond, let me know. But I just I couldn't. I really tried. I really did. No, Pad. We're talking Fear the Walking Dead. Oh. The one show that gets completely wild and crazy, does not f- hesitate to kill major characters off has a nuclear explosion in the middle of the zombie apocalypse and keeps it going. Man, oh man, oh man, there's a lot to digest of this. There is. But we finally got the mid-season return, and there is a lot to discuss about this. So you know the drill by now after the countdown. I have to start talking about episode 9 entitled Follow Me. So that being said, in 3, 2, 1. Okay, so Pad, let me break it down. Okay. Where we last saw this group, it's basically been setting up for the heavyweight battle between Strand and Morgan. Okay. So, and like I say, the, the, two of the best actors going back and forth about this. So I'm, I'm all in about this. Lenny James, who plays Morgan Jones, obviously we know him from The Walking Dead. James kills it every time he's on the screen. Coleman Domingo plays Victor Strand. He is kind of taking like that Magneto role, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has the one functioning tower in all of the fear universe here. Now, granted, it's in the sh- same timeline as the regular Walking Dead. Sure. 
But for where they're allegedly, stationed, no, no, they sped up. They sped up allegedly because I, I'm sorry, you drop a fucking nuclear bomb where they did, it would affect the main crew. But I digress. Well, you, you never know. It might get up to the Commonwealth because I believe they're still, you know, still in the south. But this is a situation where he is now building the society where everybody's trying to get a piece of it. And he is willing to fight this place for the death. But there is a wild card that has reemerged from the show, and that's Alicia, who's played by Alicia Demkeri. Okay. And since she came back, like, they have a very unique dynamic between Strand and her. And it's almost like Strand is the only person that will, he has to, like, prove himself to her. Because they've just had this very cool dynamic throughout the history of the show. Like I say, when the show first began, she's one of the original family yeah. that was on there. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could not stand the family. But she has definitely grown on me. And where we last saw her, I mean, obviously she was separated from the group when your favorite psychopath of a doomsday cult was leading. Oh, yeah, John Glover. Yeah, so that doomsday clan was just completely going apes crap and obviously set off the nuclear weapon so you know here we are but she was kept away and we did get caught up with her and basically when she escaped from that building she was bit by a zombie but they did the amputation thing which we've seen before but it didn't exactly work to Mm. a degree so now she's she's on borrowed time she's missing a hand which if you see the promo art that's her skeleton that's you're seeing a lot of and it's just basically she's gonna flip at some point now we don't know exactly why it's kind of a weird thing that she's still lasting as long as she is yeah so but i'm all here for it because it's giving a different dynamic to the group like i say we know that it takes time when you're bitten sometimes it's super quick, right sometimes right it's right not. so i'm very curious how they're going to spin this and that's something that as the show goes on the season Obviously, being on borrowed time, she's going to turn at some point, you would imagine. Right. I, I guess probably like a mid-season finale or something like that. Yeah, I'm thinking at the finale time when they finally have the throwdown with Strand, you're going to see that. But this episode jumps in, and I thought this episode was a good return. Okay. But I wasn't like, whoa. This had a lot to do with building about Alicia's purpose now, taking out Strand. Right. Because as we see... She is found after having this weird fever dream of a zombie talking to her and basically building up about the idea of Padre, yeah, which is supposed to be this oasis for the zombie apocalypse. Sure. Which, obviously, we find out, no, not everything happens like that. See Commonwealth, but I digress. But she is found by a character known as Paul, who is a deaf musician. So this is a very interesting dynamic as well, too, because... We are seeing more characters get added to the show. Now, to what extent? It's anybody's guess. Mm-hmm. And Warren Snipe played Paul on the show, too. I thought he did a really cool job with the character as well because as we're seeing that when he is taking in Alicia and really trying to you know, have somebody to confide into because he's just basically in his own house by himself. And it's kind of a weird situation going on. But they wind up kind of confiding of what's going on here as well, too. And you do see that Alicia is, you know, not willing to really give up a lot of information going on. Like, she doesn't really break down about, like, well, I'm dying and I'm, I, I really don't have much of a hand left. But you do seeing the situation where he is sitting there trying to basically analyze what's going on with her. Because he seems like a very innocent soul in this world, Pat. Okay. So it, it's kind of a different play of what we've seen of most characters that come across. Because usually everybody has an ulterior motive going on. Oh, yeah. And as you see that Alicia is now getting hunted as well 
by Arno, who obviously had has some feelings about Alicia because with Alicia bearing the guilt that she is responsible for killing people for the search for Padre, Arno is one of those people that is very affected by it and says, no, you know, basically you're the one that got people killed. I have got some vengeance to take out. We're going to definitely be having this out here. And as you see, as they're trying to go through and really kind of find their place, Paul does not want Alicia to go. Okay. Paul is in there. He's trying to analyze everything going on with her and her fever dreams are going on because he, when she keeps breaking down that, yeah, I'm getting talked to by a zombie. Bear with it, folks. It's a Walking Dead universe. This is a normal place. Am I right or am I wrong, Pat? Uh, yeah. You're seeing that this voice is now telling her to go find Padre, and what Paul is saying is, well, it's telling you to go find it, but you need to find yourself first, to paraphrase a bit. And I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic that they're seeing about this as well, because when we see Paul, it's like you don't really know too much going on, but I think this is the voice of reason that Alicia needs to hear, but he refuses to leave her side. But this is a situation where Paul has also got his own, I don't want to say ulterior motive going on. Sure. But it's something that is it was a driving force with him is he's trying to find a replacement part to feel music. And I like how he worded this, too, because obviously he said he was a deaf character. He said at one stage, like, I don't need to listen to the music. I can feel the music. Oh, okay. So as he winds up taking off a little bit to go find his uh, replacement piece that he's looking for, we do see Alicia is actually captured by Arno, who is basically focused on saying, well, I'm going to get some revenge. He has some of the people that Alicia was responsible for killing on this Mm. whole search for Padre and basically is ready to feed her to that group because he is just kind of wound up as his group, the stalkers, which I I can't stand the names of the groups that we have. If you think about it, how many weird names has there been in the walking dead universe for groups? I mean, at least as many as there have been seasons. Yeah. So 11 at least. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we had, you know, the, uh, the, we've had walkers, we've had, Mm-hmm. The, the alphas group yeah the whispers the whispers now we have the stalkers and you know everybody else that falls in between like i'm just getting it's it's almost like AEW and faction warfare i mean it, i mean without any like towns or cities or villages or whatever to go on mm-hmm. it's the easiest thing it is but it's still like i like i, I aspire for better for that but you know it's a little small piece in this walking dead universe so i can kind of understand what's going on so as Arno is ready to feed Alicia to that uh, caravan of zombies she has, Paul makes the save after he gets his piece. But the piece is destroyed in this process as well. But Alicia and Paul do make the escape. And then Alicia is basically like, I'm going to get you killed. I'm, I'm, you know, we, we can't do this. And after they've had a confrontation with Arno already, because he already came to the house once looking for her, and they did this thing where he barged in and Alicia was hiding in a piano. Right. And somehow got out of it, which is a whole other story to itself. Paul basically says, we're going to end this once and for all. And he calls them out literally to his house uh. and has a walkie-talkie. Because Arno did leave something there for her as well, or for him. Because he's like, if you come across her, let me know. And I will definitely be more than happy to take this problem off your hands. But they don't really kind of go into a a whole scheme of things because Paul is just very quick to say, I have her, we can settle this once and for all and be done with this and treat it like that, which I thought was kind of an interesting play. But nevertheless, as he lures Arno and his group to the house, 
he winds up drawing or turning the stereo up to 10 and bringing music. So now in the zombie apocalypse, when there's loud noises and music, Pad, what usually happens? Uh, the zombies usually follow the loud music. Oh, my God, yeah. And we see all of these zombies start coming to the house, and they start taking out most of Arno's group. But this is kind of a different situation, too, because at one point the music is shut off, and there is kind of a standoff going on that Arno is basically closing in on Alicia and Paul. And Paul makes this valiant sacrifice because in his house he has all these different instruments. Yeah. So he says, I'm going to buy you time. Go find your way. And he sets up a trap for Arno because Arno, they thought they got bit, but he winds up surviving. Never happened. And Paul is in there playing bagpipes. Right. It's loud enough. It's distracting enough. Oh, yeah. You see Arno burge in the room. You see Alicia is gone and she's running down the road. And then you, see, you hear the, the music going and then you all know, see is Arno pull out the gun and, and point it right at Paul's head. Right. And then all of a sudden you hear the music stop with a gunshot. Mm. So he's already killed off, which I hated the fact that we had a really cool character and was one and done. Like, I mean, what's your feelings about this in the Walking Dead universe? Par for the course. Yeah, I mean, like, I understand, but it's like, damn, it's like we actually had some real cool things going on here. Like, what are we doing? But I understand why. So you do see Alicia gets out and is allowed to escape and then passes out in the road like how much she began this episode, doing the fever dream. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But except now... She's on Morgan's submarine. And you see that she's now telling Morgan what's going on. So obviously they have that friendship going on that they're basically committed. Like, we have to take the tower. No questions asked. Like, this is going to go down. Like, I don't have much time left. I'm going to do this. And we're going to have this. And then she is basically focused on creating an army to go after Strand and his. Which... I will say, as a fan of this show, I don't like seeing as much because what does this remind you of, Pad? This reminds you of the whole Negan War. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where now everybody's getting, you know, Hilltop and Alexandria and Oceanside and, you know, everybody's forming together. It's like, I understand this happens in the Walking Dead universe, but I'm not in love with this idea. But this is how they want to go out, and I think they want to go out guns blazing. At least I will say this. You're going to see some major characters get killed off. And I'm here for this. Because I don't like seeing when, you know, you have Daryl and Carol and two other people in the middle of a cave surrounded by thousands of zombies and they walk out unscathed. I'm sorry. That's just not for me. But you do see that Arno is going by this crater. And he finds thousands of walkers, Pat. Okay. Just down there. And he has basically made his shot that screw Alicia, screw Strand, we're taking that fucking tower. And that's how this show ends. So, I mean, overall, though, it wasn't a bad episode. Like, do you understand what I'm saying with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know you didn't catch this, but I'm really trying to explain this. It's not a bad episode, but I think for the standard that this show has been at, I think it's disappointing that this has been where we went to to come back with. Because I know that they're trying to really build up Alicia's return to the show, and it is a big deal if you've been following the show for a few years. But I think, though, this is where I thought they could have been a little better with right, and a little more impactful. Like I, To do a one-and-done, especially with a character so like Paul, 
I thought it was like, okay, we can definitely go into a different place for this as well. But I don't think it was a bad episode by any means. I know it's a lot of building, but we're definitely setting up the battle is going to go down versus Strand. And you're going to have a lot of people involved. I'm expecting a super high body count, which take it or leave it, it is what it is, but it's the Walking Dead universe. So you're, you're used to expect this. But to come back, I think they're going to definitely come back with a strong episode next week. I think we'll get the ball rolling. And then all bets are off as we get to the road to Strand. I'm excited about that. But that being said, that's my take on it. But I want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit me up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. Fear the Walking Dead is back. Let's talk. I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for the one-shots? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, the first couple of which are all Star Wars related. Uh, it was announced just the other day. Uh, I believe it was on Tuesday. Uh, the, from the folks over at uh, StarWars.com, so this is about as official as it gets. Uh, and the headline reads, Amy Henning and Skydance Me- New Media Creating New Star Wars Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, article reads, A new Star Wars adventure is on the way from one of gaming's most acclaimed creators. Skydance New Media today announced a collaboration with Lucasfilm Games to develop and produce a narrative-driven action-adventure game featuring an original story in the Star Wars galaxy. Helming Skydance New Media is an award-winning writer and director, Amy Henning, a game industry legend whose, uh, whose credits include the blockbuster series Legacy of Kane, Jack and Daxter, and Uncharted. Uh, she said, quote, I've often described how seeing Star Wars in 1977 essentially rewired my 12-year-old brain, shaping my creative library and future indelibly. Uh, I'm elated to be working with Lucasfilm Games again to tell interactive stories in this galaxy that I love. Close quote. Uh, and then you also had Douglas Riley, who is the vice president of Lucasfilm Games, say, quote, We couldn't be more thrilled to be working again with Amy. She and the Skydance New Media team have been have the talent and ambition to create a unique Star Wars adventure. Their vision for making narrative-driven and engaging interactive entertainment makes this collaboration exciting. We're working hard with their team of experienced and talented developers, and we're looking forward to sharing more with Star Wars fans when the time is right. Close quote. So I'm super excited for this because, hey, action-adventure game that's not multiplayer, uh, I'm all in for. And also, Amy Henning's a great uh, director. You know, I'm, I'm an absolute massive fan of the Uncharted games. They're some of the best games I've ever played. Jack and Daxter, timeless. Mm. You know, so the track record's there. It should be really freaking good, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, it definitely sounds interesting about it. Uh, also, with some Star Wars news, this one, listen, if I could, if I wasn't already excited as hell for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series coming out very soon, this just got me even more excited. Uh, so Hayden Christensen, who, of course, is returning to reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader uh, in the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi series, did an interview with Entertainment Weekly, and he revealed the lengths he went to uh, get ready for the role because it's some boots and some armor he hasn't stepped into since... 2004 when they were filming 2005 when the movie came out so it's, mm. been, it's been a while uh he, he went on to say that he rewatched every single star wars movie and he also went and watched the animated shows the clone wars and rebels to get some additional perspective you know on the franchise and where the character has been 
Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. That's listen. If you have gripes about how Anakin changed from uh, in the prequels from one to two to three, watch the Clone Wars. Yeah. It expands on it so much. It gives it some depth. It explains why he hated the Jedi as much as he did. You know, and the fact that Hayden Christensen binged it is kind of amazing. I'm I'm very impressed with this. I mean, I mean, Hayden has gotten a bad rap with fans over the years. Yeah. So to see him actually putting the work about this, I, I mean, you got to be excited if you're yeah. a fan. And he even went on to say, quote, it was interesting. They did a lot with these characters in those shows, and they did further explore the relationship. There was some interesting stuff there to learn about. It was great fun getting to go back and reimmerse yourself in this world that just continues to grow and become more and more vast. So, Christ Almighty, can this show come out already, please? Yeah, he's got to be excited about this. Absolutely. I know, like I say, it can't come soon enough. Absolutely. Uh, and last bit of Star Wars news. Uh, it was announced by the folks over at WB Games who uh, released the Lego Star Wars uh, The Skywalker Saga video game. I've sung its praises. The fans are clearly very excited about it because Warner Brothers Games revealed in a press release that Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is the highest selling uh, Lego Star Wars game uh, of all time. Uh, Really? Yeah, so it has Hmm. sold uh, 3.2 million copies in the first two weeks, uh, surpassing sales records worldwide. Uh, They said, quote, uh, the game has sold... Through, uh, sold through 3.2 million units globally in its first two weeks and has exceeded sales records across every platform, region, and edition, said the publisher. Uh, and this is highly notable because there have been some notable franchises that have had Star Wars, or not Star Wars, uh, Lego games come out over the years. DC's had some games. Marvel's had some games. There have been Lord of the Rings slash Hobbit uh, games. There's been a Pirates of the Caribbean games. There was, there was a Pixar di- uh, Incredible. I, I think they built it as an Incredibles game, but it was with all the Pixar characters. They did, hmm. they did a, a Pixar Incredibles game. They did a Jurassic Park game. You know, They did a Lego movie game. There have been a lot of Lego games over the years, but the fact that Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is the highest-selling one of all time is very impressive. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, when I was hearing that, I was like, that is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then we got a couple bits of uh, Fast and Furious news. It was revealed by Vin Diesel that, obviously, the next film is now filming. It just won't go away. Uh, no, but we did get a uh, title for the movie, and that is called Fast X. Fast and then the letter X. Uh, got to admit, should have seen that one coming, you know, mm-hmm. kind of obvious. Uh, but then also it was revealed by Jason Momoa the, of a returning character. Uh, so this was during an interview on Entertainment uh, Tonight where he did reveal that uh, Cypher, played by Charlize Theron, is going to be back in the movie. Uh, he said, quote, I, got to, I get to shoot uh, with some really cool people that I've never, I get to work uh, with Charlize Theron first up, which I'm really excited about. She's amazing and I'm excited. I'm working with Vin. I'm excited. I'm working with Charlize, close quote. Uh, so yeah, uh, Charlize Theron obviously returning to reprise her role as Cypher. Uh, we also do know, uh, it's been confirmed that Han is making his return to the movie. And obviously this is all coming after the news that Brie Larson is going to be joining the franchise. Well, they're going all out for the last one. Thank God. Uh, so last two, cause it's split into It's going to be time travel this time. Fast to the future. That's going to be the name of the last one. They're going to do it. It's going to be the crisis on Vin and Diesel's like, it's going to happen. We all know it's going to happen. But I think it's very cool that they want to load up the final one. And I think that they should. Like, go all out if you're going to do it. I know The Rock is going to have nothing to do with this film, but it's going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, and certainly not least, we got some uh, video game news, but Call of Duty news. Now, admittedly, I have not played Call of Duty in a while. But this one crossed my radar, and I'm like, oh, this is absolutely fucking hilarious. Uh, this one comes from the official Call of Duty uh, website. Uh, and you can now play as the one and only Snoop D L G. 
uh, on Call of Duty Vanguard and Call of Duty Warzone. Uh, so reading from the article uh, slash press release on uh, CallofDuty.com, quote, nearly two decades after breaking out with The Chronic, Snoop Dogg is still on top of the game. He became the owner of Death Row Records. He delivered an iconic halftime performance right outside of his hometown of Long Beach. He joined an esports organization, has multiple business ventures, and even helped break a world record for largest cocktail, which, of course, involved plenty of gin and juice. Of course. This week, Snoop will add one more milestone to his career, becoming a Call of Duty operator. And it's no coincidence that he's joining the fight uh, right before a certain unofficial April holiday hmm. uh, taking place. On, so it says on April 19th at 10 a.m. Pacific time, you can play a Snoop Dogg in Call of Duty Vanguard and Warzone by picking up the Tracer uh, Pack uh, Snoop Dogg Operator Bundle available in the in-game store for both games. Uh, so obviously when you go to play a Snoop Dogg, he does come with his own set of weapons. Uh, the blog post uh, revealed that Snoop Dogg comes equipped with the Bong Reaper Ripper Sniper Rifle the West Coast Bling Assault Rifle, and the Shiznit Submachine Gun. Also, because this is Call of Duty Warzone, so it's like a uh, Battle Royale semi-open world game, there are vehicles involved. Uh, his uh, in Reading from an article on IGN, uh, quote, also in his operator bundle is the Mellow Metal Weapon Charm, the original Gangsta Emblem, High Art Spray, and the Fizznizzle Movizzle oh Call God. of Duty Vanguard uh, players will also get the Tactical Toke Match intro and the Hit This Fam MVP highlight. Every, I love uh, everything about this. This is incredible. Yeah, where, where do we even go from here? I yeah, I have no words. I have none. It's amazing. It, it, it's uh, yeah, it's incredible. It's like where? How do you even top this? I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they top this. Is this? Is, I know Fortnite's been adding a lot of video game characters and other. You know, I know. Yeah, isn't Wu Tang doing tonight? Uh, I know. Well, I know Moon Knight and then Mister Knight from the Marvel show just got added. I think Wu Tang's doing something. Kratos is in there. Spider Man's in there. Like Fortnite's doing a lot of crazy stuff. But I gotta admit, adding Snoop Dogg to Call of Duty that's that's good. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. So for mine, gotta talk comic reviews. Big lineup this week, but man, oh man, oh man, there's so many good books to go get. Obviously, top of my list, Pat, I know you're not a horror guy by any means. No. But they just wrapped up Night of the Ghoul, number six. Scott Snyder, Francisco Francovella, absolutely crushed the crap out of this book. I know you're not a horror guy, as we just said. But this is something that if you were just a fan of literature, this book hits on all fronts. Because it's a whole story about how somebody finds this missing film uh-huh. cellulite yeah, yeah, yeah. from the 40s okay. that was burned in a mysterious studio fire okay the guy tracks down the director who is now at a nursing home on like near death's bed and he's like you know he's such a film buff he's like i really yeah. want to find out what's going on with this film where we go from here you do not see coming a lot of the times. All right. And this is one of the most well-crafted comics I think I've read in recent memory. This ties up everything a la Breaking Bad series finale. Nice. No questions left unturned. They absolutely did such a fantastic job with this. I could not rave about this book enough. I'm actually very, 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 very touched that my I got quote tweeted by uh, Francisco Francovella. On Instagram and Twitter about this as well. Like nice. he, he commented about the review. But I mean every single word of this. Night of the Ghoul on Comixology Originals, Best Jacket Press, 
you need to go get in your collection ASAP. It is a fantastic comic. Not even just like a horror book, but just a fantastic book. And I, I hope this gets made into a movie. Like That is how good this has been from top to bottom. Can't recommend it enough. Go get it in your collection ASAP. Also coming out this week, Armor Clads number two by Valiant Entertainment. So it's been playing on that whole new side of the Valiant universe that we haven't seen before. Definitely an interesting story going on. This finally picking up some steam of talking about the different uh, so, or armor, the ironclads that were in the mining uh, mission that they have to go get the pure, this element that is keeping the, the universe alive. The military guard that is watching them, well, they're kind of having some friction with. Obviously, the ramifications from issue number one are definitely carrying through now. This group is now starting to kind of gel together. Their personalities are starting to shine through. It's a really, really great read. Definitely recommend going to pick that up at your comic shops as well. It definitely has got some very sleeper potential on you because it's such a cool futuristic story. So if you're into sci-fi, this is going to be up your alley. Definitely give it a high recommendation. And last on my list is Power Rangers number 18. So obviously you know we're big fans of Ryan Parrott right on the show. Yes, we are. And him and Marco Renna have taken over the reins. This has been the fallout from the Altarian War, which like I can't recommend enough too. If you're in the Power Rangers, it's an epic. And I don't like using that word lightly, but that's how much that whole story was. This is dealing with the fallout. So the Omega Rangers are now in their new stack quo. Definitely going in a lot of different directions than I was kind of thinking it was going to play out. But it's something you want to get on board with now. Going to be moving really fast with this book, but they're definitely going to keep your attention from the minute you open the page to the minute you close the book. It is that well done. Go check it out. Power Rangers 18 by Boom Studios. A lot of good stuff this week at the comic shops. Definitely make sure you're supporting your LCS and your favorite independent comic podcasts as well. So that being said, Pad, it has been a very, very long week. Oh, God, yeah. To put it mildly. So I am going to leave it like this. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, whether it's the music that you hear at the beginning and end of the show from Shout at the Robots to Parlay Points, which has all the comic reviews of the books I just talked about, the Classified section, which has organizational links, support, Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we're in. Shout out to the Inner Circle, shout out to the Apocalypse, and shout out to 607 Podcast and 8122 Productions. The directory, which has your favorite podcast provider with the ODPH on it. If we're not on there, we need to fix that, so you let us know. We'll take care of that. The T Public Store, anything and everything that is the ODPH can be found at odphpodcast.com. That's all for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Fuck Mother Nature. I'm your host, Ken M. I will second that. But I will also say thank you for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Darkness has crept into
tasked with half. 